the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Lung 800. The following program is sponsored by the Trooperated. Philip DeCarsi teaches on new life in Christ today on Know the Truth. Salvation's much, 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 much more than a get out of jail card where you escape hell and the judgment of God. No, it's more than that. You're going to be made conformable to Jesus' image. And the Spirit of God begins to convict you about your sin, begins to prompt holiness in your life, and the old person that you were begins to become a new person. And that's called sanctification. As believers, God is at work in our daily lives to make us more and more like Christ. And he's got a curious assignment for us. He's calling us to live on this earth as citizens of heaven. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. We're in the middle of a new series from Philip called Less Stress. And today's message is called Better Days Ahead. We're discovering how to be future focused so we can be more effective today. Now, here's Philip DeCourcy sharing an eternal perspective. You might be surprised to reread Philippians and find out how many verses deal with the second coming. So what I want to do is kind of take us on a little tour through the book of Philippians and notice the verses that deal with Jesus' second coming and what that ought to produce in our lives, what that ought to teach us in terms of responses and let that bring about a change in our lives. C.S. Lewis was right when he said, Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, and the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. You want to do the most in this world? Then think often of the next. Think often that the Lord is at hand. Here's the first thing. It produces confidence. It produces confidence. Now let's go to chapter 1. Verses 3 through 6. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is the return of Jesus Christ for his church. 
So the return of Jesus Christ for his church has here produced a confidence in Paul regarding the final perseverance of the Philippians. He believes that God will land them safely on heaven's shore. He's sure about them landing safely on heaven's shore. He has been reflecting on God's work at Philippi. It has produced in him a joy and a thankfulness that he has expressed to God in prayer. And as he thinks about their fellowship from the first day until now, he anticipates what lies beyond the past and the present. That is the future when Jesus will come back and complete his work in the lives of his people. That's a wonderful thought. You see, when Jesus comes to the earth and calls his church home, that will signal the capstone on God's saving work on each of our lives. When we will obtain final salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 to 9. What do I mean final salvation? Well, do you know that your salvation is spoken of in the Bible in three tenses? There are three stages to your salvation salvation. We tend to reduce salvation down to the idea of the night we got saved, the night we put our faith in Jesus Christ, and we were given the promise of heaven. And we came to realize that from that moment on, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We're not going to hell, we're going to heaven. And that's a wonderful thing. That is certainly a wonderful understanding of salvation, but it is very limited. And it has you on the front end of salvation. Because the Bible talks about us being saved, becoming saved, and ultimately the fact that we will be saved. We are saved, being saved, will be saved. Let me give you the big theological terms that go with that. You need to start thinking through justification, sanctification, glorification. What is justification? Well, it's when God declares us righteous. The moment you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is a change of status. There is a change of standing in our relationship to God. We're no longer strangers. We're no longer at a distance to Him. We've been brought near and we have been declared righteous. That happens instantaneous. Instantaneously, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become justified, declared righteous. You're now righteous before God through the gift of Christ's righteousness to you. Then what follows is sanctification. Big word means set apart. We're now gods. We're now indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And God means to change us into the likeness of his son. That's his purpose in salvation. Salvation's much, 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 much more than a get out of jail card where you escape hell and the judgment of God. No, it's more than that. You're going to be made conformable to Jesus' image. And the Spirit of God begins to convict you about your sin, begins to prompt holiness in your life, and the old person that you were begins to become a new person. And that's progressive, and that's called sanctification. And that will go on to the moment I die, and it will go on to the day that Jesus comes for me, when God will redeem our body and our spirit and make them perfect. There'll be no civil war within our being. We won't be fighting our flesh. We won't say with Paul, the good that I would do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. That conflict will be over. We'll be saved to sin no more. We'll be perfect. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I'm confident that the one that has justified you and the one that is sanctifying you will someday at the day of Jesus Christ glorify you. Wonderful. 
Before we move on, in fact, I think Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, got it because her headstone simply reads, Construction Ended. It's a strange headstone, isn't it? Construction Ended. Ruth Bell Graham, Construction Ended. And the story behind the headstone is that not far from their home there in the mountains of North Carolina, there was a lot of road works going on and for days on end and in several weeks she would wait and like everybody else, work her way through the construction. It added several minutes to her journey and both leaving the home and going back to the home. And then it all came to an end one day. The road was fixed. And as it all came to an end, she drove And there was a sign by the side of the road that had been put up either by the company or by the state itself. And it said, thank you for your patience. Construction ended. She turned to her girlfriend in the car and said, you know what? That's what I want on my headstone. Thank you for your patience. Construction ended. You know what? Now I'm with the Lord and I'm like the Lord. And all of God's saving purposes has now flowered to fulfillment. And you know what? The God who saved me in justification and the God who continued to save me in sanctification is now going to perfect me in glorification. Construction ended. Love that. We're all under construction. Some of us need more work than others. But we're all under construction. And someday the construction will come to an end and Paul's confident about it. Got to keep moving. It produces not only confidence, but it produces character. This thought of the Lord at hand. Let's keep going. Because in verse 10, we read this. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense, till what? The day of Christ. There's another reference to the second coming. There's another reference to the rapture. There's another reference to the return of Jesus for his church. Paul has praised them. He's thankful for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, verses 3 through 5. Now he prays for them. See, the thought of them made him pray with thankfulness. But once he gets past that, he now prays that the God who had begun a good work in them would continue it. And here's what he prays, that their love would abound, right? Verse 9, more in knowledge and discernment, and that they would approve the things that are excellent, that they would be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Their future consummation should bring about a present consecration. They ought to live this day for that day. So Paul says, I'm praying that you will live with this idea in mind that Jesus is coming and our lives will be examined and our motives will be exposed. So live this day for that day. I pray that you'll be sincere and without offense. So the second coming not only produces confidence, it ought to produce character, holy living, godliness. Notice what he prays for, verse 9, increased love. Always a good thing. Verse 9, he prays that their love would come with discernment. Love isn't some sentimental emotion that never makes discriminating choices. No, you go to 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth and not in evil. Verse 10, he prays that they would approve the things that are excellent or noble or the best things. We've said it before that when it comes to choices in life, it's not just the choice between the good and the bad. Wish it was that simple. That's often 
quite clear. But often the greater choice is between the good and the best. I pray that you would approve what's best, says Paul. I want your life to be marked by excellence. And then he prays, and this is what interests us, for integrity of life, that you may be sincere and without offense. Now, ladies, you'll like this word sincere. It's a shopping word in one way or another. You know what? We go back to that time and maybe a lady is redecorating her home or, you know, and she's got a few ideas in terms of colors and patterns for this living room or this guest room. And she realizes, hey, you know what? I, I need a few things to kind of set it off. I need some pottery. I need a little dish maybe or a lampstand. And so she goes down to the shopping area, which is often a series of tents, like a little strip mall. And she goes to the tent that sells pottery. And she finds a pattern she likes. It's going to really coordinate well with her ideas on interior redecorating. But what you'll find her doing is she'll pick her vase or she'll pick her lampstand and she'll go outside and hold it up into the sunlight because she's aware that in that day, some merchants tried to pass on spoiled goods. Pottery was rather difficult to make sometimes. And if the pot or the vase or the lampstand was in the kiln being heated up, it could be heated to a point where a crack appears. And rather than throw away that piece of pottery, they'd often put some kind of pearl cement in there or a wax material that would harden and then they'd paint over it. Under the human eye in a tent, you'd never see the crack. But you know what? The wise shopper will go outside and hold it up and the sunlight will show you the cracks. And then you can go in and smash it over the guy's head, ladies, or you can barter for a cheaper price. You know, there's a flaw in it. What do I get off it? You know, been there, done that with my wife many times. (laughs) So that's the point. In fact, that's why in some of the shops, honest dealers would have their products marked with two Latin words, sin sera without wax. Sincera, does it ring a bell? Sincere, without wax. The real deal. There's no cover up here. No funny business going on. And Paul said, I'm praying that for you. Because we know from 1 Corinthians 3, 9 to 15 and 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5, when the Lord comes, all the hidden things will be made manifest. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus, the works that we did will be shown up for the kinds of works that they were. Were they impure or pure? Did they have the right motive, the wrong motive? Were they a show of religiosity or a sincere attempt to please the Lord Jesus? And so Paul prays for integrity of life. You know what integrity is. It's the integration of thought and deed, motive and action. Integrity speaks of wholeness. So when you and I act with integrity, it's not a show. It's not a performance. The mind informs the heart. The heart is moved by the will and the actions of our lives take place in unison with all of those things. The second coming of Jesus produces confidence and it produces character. You want to live without the wax of hypocrisy. You want to be sincere. Not perfect, just sincere that your best efforts are a true representation of your heart and character. I just 
finished reading something on the life of Hudson Taylor in a book, 50 People Every Christian Should Know by Warren Wearsby. And in it, the founder of the China Inland Mission, his story is told and it's engaging and it's inspiring. In this piece, Wearsby quotes a friend of Hudson Taylor, J.W. Stevenson, who says of Taylor, his was a life worth looking into. That's a challenging little phrase. I marked it with my highlighter and then I put the book down and thought about that phrase. Is mine a life worth looking into? Is yours a life worth looking into? And what will Jesus see when he looks into it with those eyes that are piercing and pure? That's why Paul prayed that you would approve the things that are best and that you would be sincere without the wax of hypocrisy, without offense until the day of Jesus' coming. Here's a third thing. It produces celebration. This won't be as long. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown. What an interesting statement. My joy and crown. The word crown is staphanos in the Greek. Speaks of the victor's wreath. It's an athletic term, guys. It's a sports term, ladies. It speaks of someone who has run well, competed well, has won the medal, the prize, whatever you want to call it. And in that day, they came up to the bema seat where the judges would place on the brow of the competitor a wreath, a wreath of leaves, the crown, the stephanos. Now, Paul's taking that idea and he's saying, you are my crown and joy. And I would argue that he's thinking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and the joy he's going to have in presenting them to the Lord. They are the crown. They are the evidence that his work there was not in vain, that the God who had begun a good work in them would finish it, and that they would meet him at the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he could point to them as those he led to Jesus. And his joy would be enhanced by that thought. And the reason I'll argue that, because that's the language that Paul uses regarding the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? I believe Paul's got that idea in his mind in Philippians 4 verse 1. That's why I believe the Lord is at hand as the second coming, because they're going to be his crown and joy at the second coming. They were a joy to him. Their partnership, their prayers, their progress, their provision, that was all a source of joy to Paul. You can read about it throughout the letter. Now, while Jesus was Paul's ultimate source of joy, they were a source of joy to him, and that joy would climax at the return of the Lord Jesus. And that's just a wonderful thought. The Lord is at hand. That ought to produce confidence. That ought to produce character, and it ought to produce celebration. Because you and I can't go to heaven by ourselves, right? We've got to take our children with us. We've got to take our family with us. We've got to take our husbands, our wives, our neighbors with us. We've got to take every opportunity we can to share the gospel, become a channel of God's saving work in the lives of lost people. Paul saw that at Philippi. Paul saw that at Thessalonica. And he anticipates the utter joy that's going to be his when Jesus comes back. And he's found in the company of those that the Lord allowed him to lead to faith in Christ. 
Who's going to be your crown of rejoicing? Who's going to be a means of your celebration? I was interested to learn that when Spurgeon died in 1892, he was buried in a cemetery in London called Northwood Cemetery. This is going to surprise you a little, but following his death, there was a race among the members to buy plots in that cemetery. They wanted to be buried near their pastor. There's a whole lot of churches want to bury their pastor. This was a church that wanted to be buried by their pastor. Okay? Why? Because they had this verse in mind. That when the Lord came back and Spurgeon was raised, they wanted to be raised with him. Now, you and I can get all theological here and go, you know what? didn't matter whether they were buried a hundred miles from him or a thousand miles. God would get them together. You're right. But don't spoil the illustration. And... <laughs> Don't rob these people of the affection they had for their pastor. Just kind of saying, you know what? I want to be buried beside Pastor Spurgeon. So when Jesus comes back, he's always told as we were his crown and joy. Well, we want to be party to that party. Beautiful. Here's another thing that produces change. Produces change. And I keep moving here. Chapter 3, verses 20 to 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. We'll get to it before we're done. Verse 5, chapter 4. The Lord is at hand, guys. Let that shape your life and living, because it will produce... Character and confidence and celebration and change. Paul has reminded them of their heavenly status. Your citizenship is in heaven. That would mean something rather special to them because Philippi was several hundred miles from Rome, but it was a Roman colony. There was a Roman garrison of soldiers that guarded it. It had been blessed by Roman emperors. And if you lived there, those several hundred miles from Rome, you felt like you were in Rome. The laws were Roman. The lifestyle was Roman. The entertainment was Roman. The politics were Roman. And Paul said, just as Philippi is a Roman colony, so the church is a heavenly colony. We're not there yet. And we may be a million miles from heaven, but the God who is in heaven, who reigns in heaven, who's worshipped in heaven... The values of heaven ought to govern our lives on earth. Being a citizen of heaven means we follow the King of Kings, walking in obedience to God's ways. This is the key to experiencing less stress. You're listening to Know the Truth, the Bible teaching ministry of Philip DeCourcy. Our message today is called Better Days Ahead. At Know the Truth, we share with you the full truth from the full Word of God. And when you can't join us in real time on the radio, listen to messages for free on our website at ktt.org. Online, you can also order individual messages and complete studies on CD. As you listen, we also invite you to invest. What better reward can you have than to know that you're helping others to hear God's Word, perhaps for the first time? We make these broadcasts available free of charge, but they do come at a significant cost. And the only way we can send this program over the airwaves and on the Internet is when you support us with a financial gift. Partner with us today and make a donation online at ktt.org. 
or call 888-644-8811. When you give, we'll say thanks by sending you a book that Philip has used in his own personal study. It's a collection of hope-filled meditations on Psalm 27 from best-selling author Paul Tripp, and it's called A Shelter in the Time of Storm. Today is the last day to request a shelter in the time of storm when you give, so don't delay. This beautiful devotional will draw you into God's Word, equipping your heart to weather any storm. Request it today when you give online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And if you prefer to write, request the book when you mail your donation to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow when Philip concludes his message called Better Days Ahead. Listen Tuesday to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John Van Pay, pastor and author of the new book, Marathon Faith. Surrendering your life to Jesus is the greatest decision you'll ever make. But that's just the starting line. Many of us begin our spiritual races of following Jesus with unrealistic expectations that hinder us from crossing the finish line. Every faith journey encounters obstacles. Just open the Bible. And my new book, Marathon Faith, Motivation from the Greatest Endurance Runners of the Bible, I write about how men and women of faith overcame obstacles and how you can do the same. Along with scriptural references, I include my own life experiences about endurance running. When things get tough, let God help you endure your race so you too can finish well. Order your copy of author John Van Pay's compelling new book, Marathon Faith, Motivation from the Greatest Endurance Runners of the Bible, at Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. Join us for W. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.